Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you got your Bibles, you can turn them over to Genesis chapter 38, and we are going to continue in our study. And man, I, I hope that you got your notes there, and um, it's not, uh, there's a lot of scripture that you'll see there um, as far as contained there. There's not a whole lot of notes, so you can kind of jot down as the Lord uh, puts it on your heart. Uh, we've been going through this study and uh, trying to get points along the way. This study's been entitled Life, and um, seeing the character in the, in the Bible, the person in the Bible, Joseph, his lineage, his life now, we're looking at his life, and trying to grab life points, if you will, things that we can learn from uh, things he did good, things he did bad, his family did good, his family did bad, and see how that could apply in our lives today and see where we could, uh, again, put that into motion. But last week in our study, uh, we just saw one, and the life point that we saw was don't trust your judgment or your decision-making skills uh, to be right when your heart is wrong. Don't trust your judgment to be right when your heart is wrong. Because again, a lot of times we'll do that. We'll do that when we're emotionally upset. We'll do that when we're excited about a life change or a decision in our life. We'll get excited about something without necessarily making sure our heart is in the right spot concerning the Lord. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll sometimes jump to decisions and make a mess of things because we didn't uh, take advantage of the things that uh, God has put in place. Joseph's brothers uh, were our example. Again, Joseph is the person we're studying, but we looked at his brothers, and his brothers have conspired against him. And they have sold him into slavery. Uh, they were intending to kill him, but uh, some, some of the brothers stepped up and said, hey, let's not kill him, or act, make it look like we killed him, I'm sorry. Um, and so they acted. They made a decision. Hatred was in their heart, bitterness was in their heart, envy was in their heart, jealousy was in their heart, evil was in their hearts, and, and they messed up. They made a decision with those things in their heart. And I shared last week that when we live our lives like that, again, when we make decisions with the wrong things in our heart, without utilizing the wise decision processes that God has afforded to us, those decision, the, the decision process should be prayer, the Word of God, Godly counsel and the peace of God. And again, those things all line up together in perfect harmony. You cannot seek godly counsel and get something that you want to hear that doesn't necessarily line up with what God's word says and say, well, I got the counsel and so I'm going to do it. That's not it. That's not godly counsel. Don't do that. The word of God always lines up with what God has put on your heart. If you're saying God's put something on my heart, it will always line up with God's word. So if you're seeking him in prayer, and it's going to be like that. The same thing, if you get counsel that's godly counsel, that counsel will line up with God's word as well. You cannot, excuse me, you cannot have the peace of God that only comes from God that doesn't line up with God's word as well. So I don't really know what the, I don't know if the Bible says this is okay or not. I don't know if I should be doing this or not. And nobody, I haven't really got any godly counsel that says this is good, but I just have this feeling. Listen, the Bible says that our heart our, our hearts are desperately wicked. They're deceitful above all things. So if it's going against God's word and you're saying, or if it's not lined up with God's word or God's counsel is not there, and you're saying, I just feel like it's the right thing to do. It's the wrong thing to do. Amen. Don't do it. Don't trust your heart. Don't do that. Um, and so again, these are the things that God has given to us. Um, but when we make decisions without utilizing that process, we make a mess of our lives. As I said a while ago just like the brothers did for themselves. Many times, we not only make a mess for ourselves, but we cause collateral damage. Uh, not just problems in our lives, but affecting other people the decisions that we make. Sometimes we don't even think about that. We don't even worry about that because we're living our lives. We're making a decision for us and our family and our home and all those things. We don't think about how others may be affected by the decisions that we make. And that's just a selfish way to live. That's a sinful way to live as well. Because our lives are supposed to be living sacrifices. We're supposed to be, as our theme is, living with others over ourselves, preferring an honor, preferring one another. 
brothers thought that they were just going to give it to Joseph and be finally rid of him. Get, get rid of this, this young punk. Get rid of this, this daddy's boy, you know, favorite. Get rid of this guy. Man, I'm sick of him coming around talking about his dreams. And so they thought they were just going to get rid of him. But what they ended up doing is hurting their own father as well. Hurting other people in the process. Again, when we choose sin, when we choose to follow what our flesh and what our heart and what we want to do, if it's against God's word, and we do that regardless of how we feel in the moment or regardless of what we think about the future, destruction is going to be the end result. That's the end result of sin. These brothers thought, you know what, we'll just cover this up, we'll get rid of him, we'll do all these things, and what it ended up doing is hurting their own father, collateral damage, and it ended up making a bigger mess bringing destruction about, not only for them, but for the whole land. Unless we repent, unless we turn away from that, that sin and those decisions, we too will continue down this spiral, this slide, from one bad decision to another, on our way to destruction. If you've been down that path before, you know exactly that's, that's exactly how it happens. You make a wrong decision, and you don't turn back. You end up making another wrong decision. You don't turn back. You end up making another wrong decision. And it just spirals out of control until so many things are destroyed in your life and so many other people are affected. We're going to see this morning how that plays out in this study. And uh, hopefully we'll gain a couple of life points that help us, encourage us, maybe challenge us, and even convict us. And so uh, let's pray and we'll jump in and see what God has. Father, thank you so much again for this time. And this opportunity, Lord, what, what a, a blessed day it is already. Lord, our hearts have already been stirred. It's already been an exciting time to rejoice in who you are and what you've done, God. And we, uh, we're just so thankful for what you've done already in our presence. Lord, answered prayer. Um, Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, we pray now that you would just continue to move. Lord, that I wouldn't get in the way, that my words or, or, or myself wouldn't get in the way at all, but you would have full reign. That your word would go out, this message would go out, and it would speak to every single one that's here today, and starting with me. Lord, just have your way now. And I pray that if someone maybe has gone down this path of making bad decisions, they've chosen to sin and, and haven't turned back, that your spirit would draw them this morning, that your word would, would be that, that two-edged sword that, that pierces. Lord, that you could bring healing and salvation to them, Lord. Maybe there's one of your children that's gone astray and have made these decisions and has made a mess of their life and doesn't know how to get back. I pray this morning you'd show them, God, that you'd light the way, that they would turn from that and turn back to you. Lord, just move this morning and we'll give you the praise for everything you do. We ask and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 38, if you have your Bibles there, um, just follow along. We're going to go through this chapter. I know it may seem like a lot, but you got to get this because this is a soap opera. We're, we're, we're about to, you're about to just buckle in. We're about to get, uh, look, you don't need to turn on the afternoon local channels. Here it is right here. Just get ready. Okay, stay tuned. Here we go. Genesis chapter 38 came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brother and turned into a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. So, get this. They just sold Joseph, right? And what does he decide to do? Well, I mean, what does Judah decide to do? Judah decides, okay, we're done with this problem. I'm going on. I'm, see you guys later. I'm out of here. So, they leave, and they, uh, or he leaves, and leaves his brother, brothers there, I guess, to deal with a mess, and goes down to this place and finds somebody to hang out with. Judah saw that there was a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her, and he went into her. And she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. So, you get what's going on, right? Judah, they got rid of Joseph. He goes off, does his own thing. I'm going to live my own life now. I got, got my, my problems in my past. I got my life in front of me. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going I'm to be my own man. And so he goes off, and he, he befriends this guy, and he meets this woman who's a Canaanite. And he ends up having a relationship with her. That's what the, Bible, the Bible's words where he goes into her, which could be very blatant, and it is very blatant. Uh, but it also means that they had a relationship. 
She conceives. There's a son, calls his name Ur. Now, in my Western English mindset, I'm thinking, where do you get the name Ur from? Is that part of the birthing process? Ur! Ur! That's what we're going to call him. <laughs> I don't know. No, it actually has a meaning, but what a name to call your son, right? We're going to call him Ur, because that's what my wife said when she had him. <laughs> Some of you now get it. There you go. <laughs> Verse 4, but she conceived again and bare a son. She called his name Onan. I guess that, that yeah, could go along with that too. And she yet conceived again and bare a son. She called his name Shelah. And she was at uh, Cabiz, which this, this is interesting, okay, because this is the name of this area means falsified. Okay, so Judah's already all about deception. Judah's all about himself. Judah's, Judah is all about doing what Judah wants at this point in time. And so he's having children with this Canaanite woman who he shouldn't be having a relationship with, shouldn't be having children with, and it's in a place that means falsified. It's amazing how, how the Bible is. Again, we look at what Judah is doing. He's entering, in, in, entering in, into something that almost ruined Israel's family already. If, if you were here when we went through chapter 34, you remember there was a city that they were in called Shechem. And there it was that one of Israel's daughters was defiled. And it almost, it almost brought them into this, if it wasn't for them getting out of, out of Dodge, if you will, out of Shechem, uh, it might have been then that destroyed. But right here, he invokes this. He enters into this relationship. And this is this assimilation with the people of God and the people of the land that God said, don't do. This is not what I want for you. Regardless, in verse 6, it says that Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn son, whose name was Tamar. Now, as if this story hasn't already been full of twists, buckle your seatbelt. Remember, this was Judah, who we're talking about, his son, who now he finds a wife for his name is Tamar. Judah was the one who suggested that they actually sell Joseph into the slavery to the Ishmaelites. He's the one that left for, for Adullam, which is an interesting place as well, right? This, this place of Adullam is the place where David would eventually resort to the caves of for refuge. Interesting. Because just wait till the end of the sermon. Wait till we get to the end. So, so interesting. Anyways, thanks a lot, Judah. Judah, Judah is, is really messing a lot of things up for uh, the, the people of God here. But verse 7 is where we, is, here we go. Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. <laughs> that was quick. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he raises up, gets a wife. He's evil, and God takes care of him. He's gone. But think about this. That was Judah's firstborn. You, you, you see what's going on here? He decides to, to sell his, his, his brother into slavery, gets rid of his problem, does it in emotion, does it with the wrong heart, makes a bad decision. Then he says, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing, go off. He does his own thing, makes his own decisions, marries a Canaan, or, you know, uh, gets involved with a Canaanite woman, ends up having children, and his firstborn of that relationship dies because the Bible says he was wicked in God's sight. It's not turning out very good for Judah. He's not making some good decisions, and the results are not following, or the results are, are exactly the way that his decisions are. Bad. Remember what I said a while ago? When we choose sin, regardless of how we feel in the moment, regardless of what we think about the end of our decision will be, the reality is destruction is the end result. No matter what we think, or no matter what we think, well, it won't be that for me. Destruction is the end result. Unless we repent. Unless, the word repent means to turn away from. You're going this way, to repent means to, to turn and to go this way. That's what repent means. So unless we repent, then we will continue down, just like Judah is, one bad decision right after the other, on our way to destruction. See, for Judah, it wasn't him, right? 
He was his son. Many times we, we, hey, I'll deal with it, just don't mess with my kids. See, see when we read something from the, the surface, it doesn't, really, it doesn't really hit us, but put yourself in, the, in this place, right? He's made some bad decisions. Now his firstborn son was wicked, and God took him. You'd think Judah would be like, okay, I need to get some things straight. You know, I've made some bad decisions, and now I find myself in a really bad place because Man, my kids, they're just wicked. They're evil. God took one of them already. Look what happens. And so Popper continues. Judah said to Onan, go into thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Now, it's, it's important to understand this. This was part of the, the, the requirements here. This is what God, uh, this was what was expected of uh, the, the, the brother to take care of his brother's wife. And so Onan knew that the seed should not be his. So what would happen is Onan would go in and marry his sister-in-law, and he would have children with her, but they would not be considered his per se. He would be raising them up in his brother's stead because his brother was dead. So he knew the seed wouldn't be his, and it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground lest that he should give seed to his brother. That is... The reproductive elements necessary for reproduction. That's the soap opera of the Bible. If, if you're not following what I'm saying, this is the literal way that things, that children are conceived, right? The Bible says that instead of fulfilling the whole duty, he did not. It went on the ground. The thing which he did displeased the Lord... Wherefore, he slew him also. So get this. Judah loses his firstborn son, tells his, tells his other son, hey, you need to go take care of your, your, your sister-in-law. You need to go in, in, in your brother's place and do this. And so he says, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do that because it's not going to be about me. It's not going to be my kids. I'm not going to do that. So he doesn't fulfill what is his responsibility to fulfill. God takes care of him as well. That's interesting. Did you know that was in the Bible? Some of you are like, what? I need, I need, I need to fix myself. Something's wrong. And Judah then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest preventer he die also as his brethren did. So, all right. Strike one, strike two, listen, surely not strike three, all right? The, his, his younger son was too young to, to take care of his responsibilities uh, with his sister-in-law, his older sister-in-law at this point in time. And so he said, listen, when he's old enough to take care of you in that way, then I will send him and, and, and you will be taken care of. You won't be a widow indeed. You won't have to live the rest of your life like that. So... He says to his daughter-in-law, in verse 11, Remain a widow at thy father's house till Shalom my son be grown. For he said, for eventually he die, as his brothers did. Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And in the process of time, the, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted. And went up to his uh, sheep shearers, uh, to Timnah. And he and his friend Hira, the Adolamite. Uh, and it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law go up to Timnath to shear his sheep. So what's going on? Everybody's following, hopefully, right? So Judah has now lost his wife. He told Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your dad's house. And, and, and that way, you know, uh, when, when, when my, my younger son is old enough, then you, he can be your husband and he can take care of you and he can bring seed uh, to you like that. Well, in the process of time, Bible says that Judah's wife dies. Judah is comforted. He goes about his life. Tamar gets word of it. Oh, he's up there. So look what she does. She put on her widow's, she, she took off her widow's garments and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath. For she saw that Shelah was grown 
and she was not given unto him to wife. So what's the big deal about this? She was a widow. She wasn't supposed to take off her widow garments. Number one. Number two, she shouldn't have been putting on a veil. So why? Because what a veil meant in that day was she was a harlot. So she goes and she, see, here's the, here's the soap opera, right? Like, ooh, what is she doing? Why is she doing this? She, again, she says, I, I'm going to go trick them. I, I, I see he's old enough. He should be my husband. He should be bringing seed. I mean, this, this is what should be going on, and it's not happening. So this is what she does. She goes to this open place. She hangs out by the street side, right? Shaking leg. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Has the veil on. She's like, open for business. Look, I'm telling you, it's the Bible. When Judah, verse 15, saw her, here it is. He thought her to be a harlot because she had covered her face. Again, that's, that's what's going on. I mean, Judah's like, hey, who's that? Well, looks like she's open for business. That's what he does. He turns to her, by the way. Judah, what is your problem? That's what you want to look at in this story if you were able to talk to Judah. What is wrong with you? You, you made all these bad decisions, and now you, your, your wife, who you shouldn't have married in, in the first place, Canaanite, she's gone. You go to shear your sheep, and you see a harlot, then you're like, hey, I'm game. You know, What's wrong with you? Amen. Judah saw her, and he thought her to be a harlot because she covered her face. And he turned unto her, by the way, and said, go, uh, go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. Right? <laughs> right? He didn't know. He was just thinking, maybe this will help me. You know? He was already comforted. But he was, you know, hey, I'm still, I'm not an old man, you know? And she said, what wilt thou give me that thou mayest come into me? What are you going to pay me? And he said, I'll send... <laughs> I'll send thee a kid from the flock. That's how they dealt, I guess, in the day, you know. I got a goat for you. <laughs> you say, yeah, you're going to give me a goat, but it's out in the field. What are you going to give me until I get my goat? So he says, in verse 18, what, what pledge are you going to give, uh, shall I give thee? And he said, uh, she said, thy signet, uh-oh, and thy bracelets, oh, no. And thy staff that is in thine hand. So let's think about this. A goat versus everything that basically identifies you as you in the day, right? Okay, you don't have your money on you? Okay, so how do I know that you're going to give me that goat? Well, I'll give you something, a guarantee. Okay, give me your wallet. Everything in it. Okay, you know. I think we know where Judah was, his mind was, right? A kid, like, what do you need? You know, what, what do you need? She said, give me everything that identifies you as you. So look what he does. He gave it to her. He's just making bad decision after bad decision. He gave it to her. He came in unto her, and she conceived by him. What a mess. What a mess. I mean, we see a little bit, you know, a little humorous, but the reality of this is this is a destructive mess. What an ugly situation. He's, he's just followed his flesh. He's followed his emotions. He's followed what Judah wants to do, and he's found himself now having impregnated his own daughter-in-law. What, what a despicable situation. When somebody looks at, at Judah's life, we would say, man, what a horrible mess he's made. The reality is, is we make a lot of messes in our own lives as well. We may not be like this, but we too make decisions that are for our own benefit. And, and, and we make those decisions sometimes. I think it's not a big deal if I do this. I mean, when we don't see the destruction at the end of it. And she arose and went away in verse 19, laid, laid by her veil from her. And put on the garments of a widowhood. 
So now she does her little trickery, right? Puts back on her widow garments. Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adolamite, to receive his pledge from the one's hand, but he found her not. So what? Uh-oh. <laughs> so he goes back to the flock. Okay, yeah, um, I need you to take this goat to this lady. And so, okay. So he goes, can't find the lady. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, where's the harlot that was open uh, that was openly by the wayside. She's clearly out here open for business. And they said, there's no harlot in this place. Uh-oh. <laughs> Getting even you know, a little more difficult here. And they said, there's no, you know, there's no harlot. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of that place said, there's no harlot in this place. Judah said, let her take it to her, lest we, we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. Hmm. Look where Judah goes here. And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. Whoa. <laughs> wow. A little self-righteousness, a little, a little righteous indignation there, self-righteous indignation. Judah's like, who does she think she is? I told her that I would send my son whenever he was old enough to marry her, and now she's gone out and played the role of a harlot and gotten pregnant in her hortal. She is going to be burned. Bring her, bring her out here, and we're going to burn her. Pretty, pretty severe. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, by the man... Whose these are, am I with child? Uh-oh. And she said, discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet and bracelets and staff. <laughs> the days of our lives. And Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I, because of that I gave her not to Shelah, my son. And he knew her again no more. Well, I'd hope not. Yeah. <laughs> Life point number one this morning is sin has a propensity to snowball out of control. Sin has a propensity to snowball, has a tendency to, to snowball out of control. It's a process. Or it's a progression towards destruction. And I, I want us to hear this this morning because we can buy the lie that we have a grip on our sin. And that is a lie. We don't have a grip on our sin. We can't control it. Sin is destructive. It's, it's full uh, uh, of destruction. It's full of death. It, it brings forth death. Regardless of the type of grip we think we have on sin, we don't. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. God tempted me with this. Don't say that because God can't not, cannot be tempted with evil, evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man, every single man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, look at those next few words, bringeth forth death. As I said a while ago, the end is always destruction. It's always death. Regardless of the grip we have, we think we have on it, regardless of the control we have in the decisions that we're making, the reality is when we make decisions in the wrong heart, with the wrong motive, against the will of God, against the word of God, it is called sin. When we break God's law, that's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 verse 4, it says that the transgression of the law is sin. That's how we know what sin is. When God says, do this, do that, and we don't do that or, or, or not do that. That's sin. Now, Judah had been making these decisions thinking that he had a control on his life. Thinking that, man, everything's going all right, and, and hey, you know, I'll just do this, and it'll be okay. But he was making these decisions, and it was causing destruction. It finally caught up with him. It finally caught up with him. When he realized that he was the person who was so presumptuous bring her over here and we're going to burn her for her sin when he realized 
Ah, I'm a wicked sinner. And she is more righteous than I. Time after time in Scripture, we see choices that, that people make, that God's, God's people make, that, that, sinful, that, that people who are not God's people make. They're against God's word. And when we see them make these decisions that are against God's word, they end up snowballing into worse circumstances. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, you can find it. You can find it from, you can go to, to see Peter. You can see Judas. You can see uh, through the New Testament examples. You can see all through the Old Testament examples of people when they make decisions against God's word, it just gets worse. Now, what are, are there exceptions? We always want to know, are there exceptions? Are there exceptions to, is, it, is there an exception to this rule? Is there an exception, exception to this example of when people make decisions, sinful decisions, that it snowballs into a worse situation? What are the exceptions? The only exception to the snowball of sin and its, and its effects are for those who repent. Those who repent. See, at some point along the process, Judah could have said, no more. I'm not going to make decisions based off of what I want. I'm not going to make decisions based off of what feels good to me. I'm not going to make decisions based off of, uh, uh, of what I think is right. I'm not going to do that anymore. I repent. Forgive me, God. I'm turning away from that. And God, I'm going to seek your face and make decisions based off of what pleases you, not what pleases me. He could have done that. But it wasn't until it had snowballed into this great catastrophic mess that he had impregnated his own daughter-in-law, indicted her that she should die, and realized he was the person. But for those who repent, those who turn away, those who seek forgiveness and grace in God's sight can find exception. It doesn't mean that the consequences of sin don't remain. It doesn't mean that, that the, the problems, but the, the, the potential uh, final destruction that sin brings about can find an exception in repentance. But again, we see here that Judah finds maybe a little bit of repentance in his folly, the foolishness that he'd been uh, living in and the sin decisions he'd been making and apparently turns away from further sin. But again, look where his choices have made, led him to this point. Maybe this morning you're here and, and you've been making, you would say, well, I don't, I don't make decisions like that, but maybe you've just been making selfish, self-centered, not God-honoring, not God-lined-up-with-God's-word decisions. You've just been kind of doing things the way you want to, living life the way you want to. I'm sure Judah would stand here today and tell us the same exact thing. I was just doing what I want. I just was doing what I thought was best for me and my family. That's not the way the people of God are to live. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So regardless of how right and good we think our decisions are, if they don't line up with God's word, then they're not in God's will. We can expect the same results. It may not look exactly like Judah's story, but we can expect the same mess of a life at the end of it. I want you to remember something with all of this, though. There's been a scarlet thread throughout all of man's history. A scarlet thread interwoven God's grace in the line that he has chosen, the path that he's chosen. I want you to remember for a second who's having these kids. Who was the mother that was having these kids? Tamar was her name. I want you to remember that name, Tamar. It's the one impregnated by Judah, the one that had... had, had uh, uh, had, had these, uh, these husbands that had died, they were wicked, and, and, and now this big, huge mess ends with her pregnant by her father-in-law. What a mess. Remember her name, Tamar. Now look at the power of God's grace. Look at the power of God's grace, and look at the impotence of sin that is engulfed by God's grace in the next few verses. Verse 27. And it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. <laughs> It just gets better for Judah. Not just one child, but two by his daughter-in-law. I mean, it's not like it's, 
you know, just one child, okay, can we just do away, just forget about that sin, forget about that problem? No, two kids, just here we go. Came to pass when she travailed that one of the kids put out his hand. His hand. Look what happens. The midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread. Look what she says. This came out first. Marking the first, right? And it came to pass as he drew, his, drew back his hand that behold his brother came out. Whoa, wait a second. The one that came, the fist came out was supposed to be first. But he drew his hand back and the other kid came out first. And she said, how did you do that? How did you break forth first? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Perez, which means breach. Broken. There's, there's been a, a breach here. And afterwards came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand. And his name was called Zorah. It's interesting that a scarlet thread was used. As I said a while ago, throughout all of mankind's history, there's been a scarlet thread interwoven throughout the line of God's choosing. What is the standard? What is the precedent in this? It's what Jesus said. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Cain or Abel? Abel. In a second. What was man's way? There's a way that seems right on man, but the end thereof is the ways of death, right? Cain kills Abel. That's man's way. But what does God do? Seth. Right? God gives life. Man's ways are death. Ishmael, Ishmael or, or Isaac? Which one? Isaac. Which one was first? Ishmael. Isaac. First one was sin. Second one, promise, grace. And we got Esau and Jacob. Who was it? Jacob. First is man, the second is mercy. Listen, all throughout history, it's been the case. Man's way always represents sin and death. Man's ways, man's choosing, man's choices, man's life is always representative of death and sin. But the second man always represents grace and life. You can read in Romans chapter 5 that there were two men, two men it speaks of. The first man, Adam, his name Adam means man. The second man is Christ. With one, death came. With the second, life came. That's the story of God's, God's scarlet thread, God's grace throughout all of mankind. The reality is Judah had made an absolute mess of his life. But the reality is all of our lives are absolute messes because of sin. It's only because the scarlet thread of God's grace, his offering of life through his grace, his offering of promise through his grace is our only hope. Second life point this morning is grace, God's grace, has the power to supersede sin. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. No matter how big of a mess our life becomes, you're sitting there today and you say, I've never given my life to Christ. And you're sitting there and you're saying, my life is too big of a mess for God to forgive and to make clean. As Rochelle was saying about, it's too big, it's too dirty, it's too ugly. No, it's not. God's grace is greater. It's always been greater. From the moment that Adam sinned directly in the presence of God in the garden that God had made for him. God's grace inter interceded. God's grace stepped in and it superseded the sin that Adam had committed. When it looks like sin has won, grace can step in and overpower it. Romans chapter 5, verse 7, as I mentioned a while ago, this is in the English Standard Version. I just want to, to, to share that because of the readability. It says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life, look at this, through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation 
for all men. Because of Adam's sin, condemnation comes upon all men. So by the act of one righteous, righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Because of what Jesus Christ did, it opens the door for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came into, uh, to end to increase the trespass. That's why the law was given, to show this is what sin is. But where sin increased, because as you read the law, as you look at what Scripture says, you begin to say, oh, 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 that's me. I'm a sinner. Oh, oh my goodness. I messed up. I messed up. And as that began to be more and more and more, the Bible says grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned into death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at what it says, chapter 6. What shall we say then? If, if grace is greater than sin and grace abounds where sin abounds even more and grace is greater, all these things, so what do we do? Are we to continue in sin so that God's grace increases in our life? Listen to what he says, by no means. And he asks a question. How can we who died to sin, if we're dead to it, still live in sin? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we had been united with him in, a, in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in, his, in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, death, so that we no longer would be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. He took care of it. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So in light of this, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from, dead to, from death to life, and your members, your body, as God, as instruments for righteousness. For sin will no longer have dominion, or have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, under grace? By no means, he says. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He said, for just as you were once, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, remember that sin snowball effect? So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You, you had nothing to do with righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which, of which you are now ashamed? The fruit is death. He said the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin, have become slaves of God. The fruit which uh, you get leads to sanctification. And its end, the end of this process, eternal life. He says, see, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, knowing that grace is greater than our sin, it doesn't give us license to abuse it with sinful indulgence. When we realize the grace of God is given to us through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his payment for us, we realize this amazing scarlet thread of God's grace it, present in our life. What it does is it doesn't, doesn't make us say, you know what, I'll just do what I want to do, and, and God's grace, gracious, he'll be okay with it. No, we can't flippantly approach our desires and, and our decisions with that thought, that, oh, well, God's going to be okay with this. No, no, no. Someone who lives like this doesn't understand grace. 
It's growing in grace, as Scripture says we should. Understanding grace, growing in grace, is a humbling experience. As you understand grace, the grace of God more, and as you grow in the grace of God more, you know what it does? It drives you closer to the cross. It drives you closer to the Lord. As you understand the grace of God in your unworthy life, when I look at my life and I say, I'm so unworthy, why would God give me grace? Why would God give me life? Why would God die for me? When I look at that and I abide in his grace and I grow in his grace, what it does is it draws me closer to the Lord. It, it, It draws me closer to a desire of obedience. It draws me closer to spiritual maturity, that process of sanctification the Bible mentioned. Not the opposite. If you're here this morning and that's where you're living, well, God, God's grace will cover it. I will submit to you that you are not growing spiritually. You're not moving the right direction spiritually. Because when you move the right direction spiritually and you're growing in grace and you're growing in the, in the knowledge and the, in the grace of God, when you grow like that, what ends up happening is your appreciation for grace, your handling of grace becomes all the more careful. You begin to make decisions and, and, and you, you consider the grace of God as such a precious, valuable blessing. You don't stomp it on the ground and trample it under your foot and say, God will deal with it. It's not how you handle it when you grow in it. This morning, let's remember the destructive nature of sin, the out of control nature of sin. While we cling to it, depend on it, when we're, before we're with Christ, we depend on the grace when we're in Christ to live victorious. Maybe you're here and you find yourself living a, in a snowball of sin. It's, it's become out of control. I want to say to you, please listen, there's still hope. You say, man, no, I don't know, Brother Carl, my life's a mess. There's still hope. There's still hope. It's called Grace. But it starts with repentance. It starts with stopping the direction and going back. To close it, I just want to show you an example. You think Tamar, her life was a mess? You think Judah's life was a mess? So, man, where do they go from here? Twins now? I mean, it just, the, the, the issues, the problems, it's complex. It was bad. I told you, remember the name Tamar. Remember the mess that she was in. Remember the mess that Judah had made. I want you to look at this timeline. You see those up there? Tamar and Judah? You got Perez. You move on down. Go through the family line. And some of you can see over here on the right side, Ruth. And just make your all the way down to David. So look at the very first man, Judah. And the very last man, David. Some of you know this, but Jesus, the Messiah, would be the one who was called the lion of the tribe of what? Judah. The Messiah would be prophesied that he would sit and reign on the throne of David. Christ's earthly lion would be from a sinful group of people, full of sinful messes, Chosen by God, but redeemed through his blood. Why? Why? Why would God do that? To display his indelible grace. To display it. To point people to himself. See, man's way, there's no hope, only destruction. But God's way through grace is our only hope. This morning, if you've never turned your life over to Jesus Christ, today is the day. You can't do it yourself. You can't save yourself, clean yourself up. What you can do is you can continue to make a mess of your life. But if you'll turn your life over to the Lord, His grace will come in. And just as it looked really, really bad with Judah and Tamar, it really ugly, God can make it something beautiful through his grace. David would be that line that the Messiah would come through. God can turn your life into a story of his grace, but you've got to submit it to him.
Christian, if you're here and you have gone back to serve sin, remember what Romans said. How can you go back and serve something that you are dead to? The only choice for us Christians when we find ourselves making selfish decision after selfish decision, emotional decision after emotional decision, sinful choices after sinful choices, our only choice too is to stop, repent, and go back in that right fellowship of the Lord. Whatever the Lord has put on your heart, maybe this morning you just want to come to this altar and say, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving a sinner as wicked as me. Or maybe you realize you've been trampling his grace under your foot, making those decisions that just please you. Maybe you want to come this morning and say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to treat your grace like that. And like I said in the beginning, maybe you've never given your life to the Lord. We're going to have an invitation. People are going to start moving. There's going to be a couple men down here. And I want, I, I'm begging you if, you, if you've never given your life to Christ, come down and let them show you in God's word even more of how you can know that heaven's going to be your eternal home. Having a relationship with the Lord. Having all of your sins forgiven. Every sin you've ever committed, wiped out, wiped clean. Again, just as Rochelle sang a while ago, clean, washed. It's only through what Christ has done. It's only through him that you can have that. So I beg you to come forward today. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not doing anything weird. We just want to show you in God's word, and then you can make the decision yourself. But when we have the invitation, I want to beg you to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to have this opportunity to reflect on the, the truths in your word, these examples in scriptures where we realize that sin is so destructive. It, it, is, it is the source of destruction. Lord, we look around this world, and we see all the hurt and the brokenness, and we see that it seems to just get worse and worse. There's so much hurt and, 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 and death and destruction in so many different areas. We know that the root of it is sin. Sin in this world, the effects of sin all over this world. And God, we realize that you came and you paid for sin for us so that we can have a relationship with you. And one day you're going to make it all right. When that last person calls on your name for salvation that you know, and then you're going you're gonna to right all the wrongs, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would just move this morning, this invitation. Or let your spirit move and, and have, have whatever freedom uh, you want. And we'll praise you for it. We ask all this in Jesus' name.